Hello and welcome to the 16th episode of The Rate Debate. I'm Darren Langer, Head of Fixed Income at Nico Asset Management, and joining me is my co-portfolio manager, Chris Rance. Hello, everyone. It's the first Tuesday of May, and that means the RBA has just met. And uh, whilst the RBA didn't really change much in the way of policy, um, the message I get from what they said today, Chris, was that um, there's still a long way to go to reaching their targets, but they appear much more confident that they're going to get there. What was your thoughts? Yeah, I think I viewed the statement in a similar manner. You know, obviously we'll talk about some of the language that they've been using, but it does look like, at least from their perspective, the employment outlook is far better than they expected probably at any point over the past six months. And on top of that, you're starting to see a bit of a rebound in global growth that is probably giving them a bit of confidence as well. And I think what you're seeing now that while they haven't changed any of their policies, it does seem to be that they're at least kind of softening up some of their language a little bit. Yeah, they certainly came out and um, were a little bit more clear on um, the direction they're probably heading in. They have now announced that in July that they will make a determination on whether they roll the uh, YCC or yield curve control to the next bond in the series. They've also mentioned that they'll let us know what they're going to be doing with a quantitative easing program. And they've pretty much said that the uh, term funding facility, which is what was used to, to fund the banks for the last year, is almost certainly going to end unless there's a, another disaster on the horizon. So there was certainly a little bit of change in messaging. And I think, you know, as I said, my view is that they sound more confident rather than saying that they're immediately going to do anything. I think you actually saw that in some of the language that they used in the back end of their policy statement. So what they had said in the statement last month was that there's going to need to be significant gains in employment to get to where we need to be over the next few years. Whereas at the moment, what they're starting to say is there just needs to be gains essentially in employment so that we need a stronger labor market, which to me kind of says there is a bit more confidence because you're not saying significant gains. You're just saying that the labor market needs to improve. And that's, I think, a bit of a nod to the unemployment rate coming down far faster than I think most people expected. Yeah, we we certainly seem to um, have unwound a lot of the damage that was done in the early parts of the COVID crisis. And a lot of things are definitely moving back towards, um, I guess, their target levels. I think the RBA is still a little bit worried about inflation. You know, we got a pretty weak print last week from the actual inflation numbers. They sort of alluded to the fact that they're still concerned inflation's not picking up quite as much as they would hope. But they seem to also be saying that, you know, they're willing to let things run until unemployment is at a level that they're comfortable with. And we both talked about this. We think that's four and a half percent based on their um, discussions in the market and things like that. But is four and a half percent going to be enough? I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, I I think as well, when you look at the RBA, definitely at the moment, you can kind of look at the policies that they're running uh, in different kind of segments. So when they do look to tighten conditions, they're obviously not going to just I guess, unleash all of those policies at once, there's going to be an order. So we've spoken about this on this podcast in the past. Our expectation is that they would get rid of the yield curve control, then they would look to reduce QE, and then they would move the cash rate. And I think that's consistent with what they're saying in the statement. And so what they've said at the very end of the statement is that they're not going to increase the cash rate until actual inflation is sustainably within the 2 to 3% target range. Now, at the moment, their forecasts are saying that that's probably not going to happen until 2024. And that is why their expectation is that the cash rate isn't going to move until then because they're not expecting inflation to show up. So you can kind of create this narrative, I guess, at the moment where if you expect inflation to come earlier, you could say that you could see the RBA tightening earlier. Or if you're of the 
opinion that inflation isn't coming back and it's going to be far longer, then you could probably actually delay that 2024 timeline out. But those kind of comments relate to the cash rate. In terms of yield curve control and QE, that's kind of a different a different kettle of fish, so to speak, as you know, the employment and the inflation indicators get a little better. Perhaps they can start to think about how they're going to unwind those policies a little bit sooner. Yeah, the market seems very fixated on the cash rate, but as you say, um, yield curve control and quantitative easing are probably the first policies that are likely to go. And I guess you kind of need to understand what they're trying to do. Yield curve control is really about keeping borrowing rates for the average Australian borrower in the housing market or companies at a reasonable level, because that's really based off the the front end of the yield curve. So somewhere between the zero day rate, the cash rate and the three year rate, we keep those rates low. Borrowing in Australia stays relatively low. Quantitative easing is probably aiming at a slightly different part. The longer end of the yield curve doesn't really influence interest rates terribly much for anybody else but the government, but it does have a lot to do with keeping the currency down. Quantitative easing to me is all about keeping currencies at a level that they're comfortable with and not letting the currency run up too high, which also helps crush imported inflation from offshore. The way I see it happening is that they really will attack those two programs long before they even think about moving the cash rate because there's a significant amount of easing just from those two programs alone. Yeah, and I I think though... That is kind of the the positioning that they seem to be starting to line up with as well. So uh, as you kind of mentioned at the start of this, one of the comments that they made in the statement today is that at its July meeting, the board will consider whether to retain the 2024 bonds as its target or whether to roll that out a little bit. And they'll also consider the future of bond purchases following the completion of their second round of 100 billion of QE. So Prior to this month, we didn't actually really know that July would be the month that they would come and think about these policies. And leading into this kind of statement, one of the questions that kind of I had posed to you and and we were starting to kick around was, if the economic data is improving, how do you kind of change the messaging if you're the RBA to being from, you know, these policies are potentially here forever to actually the conditions are a little bit better than we expected and we need to do something about this because we don't want the market to kind of throw a wobbly when we come and say these words. And so I think this is kind of the starting point of them saying, actually, things are a little bit better than we expected. So let's take a better look at those two policies in particular. Yeah, I think there's almost no chance that the market won't throw a wobbly. That's what markets do. They they panic about everything. They don't really think through the, the longer term details of things and they just react to the statement. So I think, you know, the RBA is running a lost cause there. There, there will be a market reaction once they believe that um, one of these or more of these policies is coming off. I guess the the one area where we kind of disagree with some of the other commentators in the market is that we think it's going to hit the front end of the yield curve. So in other words, short term rates will lift much more aggressively than longer term rates. Doesn't mean longer term rates can't go a little bit higher from here, but but our general view is that the longer end of the curve has already adjusted to the new view that we could end up having to tighten policy a little bit earlier, but, but that front end is still pricing in lower for longer and pretty much forever. So any change is likely to come in that front end of the curve. So Chris, 
Given our outlook is that things could change, what are you looking at that will actually give the RBA confidence that they can start to tighten policy if needed? And what are the things you think they're looking at? At the moment, you know, we've kind of talked, I guess, about this a lot over the past few months saying it doesn't matter what lead indicator you go and choose. Most of them are extremely positive. And they have actually been, I guess, a pretty good barometer of where we've ended up because the data has probably been much better than was expected kind of over the past three months. And the lead indicators were definitely pointing at that. If I look at what's going on at the moment, certainly this idea that unemployment is far better than expected is is certainly at the front of mind in those kind of categories. If you look at the lead indicators for employment at the moment, whether it's kind of job ads, job vacancies, business conditions, PMI surveys, all of those are pointing to employment falling to 5% and potentially lower kind of over the next six to 12 months. That is not inconsistent now with what the RBA is saying. So their forecast is now for 5% unemployment by year end and 4.5% in 2022, which if you look back at the unemployment statistic over the past 30 years, that is essentially a low point for unemployment over that period. So a very tight labor market could potentially be coming. But the other things that I think you can look at is still the housing sector is still showing signs of strengths. You know, just today we saw that the investors are now starting to come back into the market. That's probably going to start potentially pushing unit prices higher after a bit of a weakness in that sector. And the other is that the global PMIs are picking up. So depending on what you want to look at, you can kind of start to build a bit of a narrative here that the next few months are going to be very strong. And with that, unemployment will be low. So from the RBA's perspective, at least, I think you can kind of start to look at this and say, you know, this hasn't been a typical recession. We should be kind of coming out of this potentially even faster, which is why I think those policies potentially need to be reviewed kind of come July. We get to the point where we've got unemployment at four and a half percent, something that we've never been able to do before. Anytime we've got even just below five, the the market sort of stopped. So we say we get to four and a half percent, we've got growth running at two, two and a half percent, but we still don't see inflation. What does the RBA do then? Yeah, I mean, that's a tough one. It's um. I think from the RBA's perspective at that point in time, you kind of just need to leave cash rates at zero and hope or pray might be the the words that they're not going to use, but the way that I would look at it and kind of see if wage inflation can come back. And if wage inflation doesn't come back through that period, I don't think they're going to hit their inflation target and they're going to have to just leave the cash rate at zero. But I think when we look at this from our perspective, that's not inconsistent with removing both yield curve control and quantitative easing. And so to me, that's why those policies should be the first ones reviewed because we don't know if it's going to convert into actual inflation in three years time. And if it doesn't, you certainly don't want to have increased the cash rate to kind of start slowing the economy before then. And I guess one of the other things we've talked about before that we see as a a potential problem in tightening cash rates is that the policies have been to not only spend lots of money through fiscal policy, but obviously to get people to borrow a fair amount of debt. And we're seeing that coming through the housing market. We're seeing investors come back into the market. We've seen fairly strong credit growth in the last month. The more and more debt people get, the harder and harder it is to be to put up interest rates. So it may actually be far simpler for the RBA to pull back on some of those non-cash rate policies than it actually is to lift the cash rate. 
I think alternatively as well, you go back to that comment that we've made in previous podcasts that macro prudential could be used as well to slow the housing market gain so that you don't get that run up in debt and then you can kind of move the cash rate a bit easier later on. To put kind of those comments in perspective, if you look at the borrowing stats, the lending commitments going through the housing market, they're about 50% higher than we've ever seen before. So it is truly staggering amounts of debt that is about to be written. And typically what you can see is if you lend too much, it's very hard to put rates up subsequently because it just becomes too expensive too quickly. Which is what we've seen in places like Japan and Europe in particular. Australia is a slightly different dynamic economy and we don't really expect to get caught into this, but that idea of a debt trap where you end up with so much debt, interest rates very low, no inflation, no real growth is a potential outcome if the RBA gets this wrong. I guess the follow-on from what the RBA believes they're going to achieve by pushing borrowing higher is that they're expecting to hit kind of full employment sometime over the next few years. And that's a bit of a, you know, tenuous concept of full employment, but maybe you could explain what the RBA is saying in regards to where they believe that rate of full employment now sits. It's actually a tricky one. They've they've sort of indicated a level of four and a half percent as where they think it is, but they also make the uh, sort of get out of jail card and say that, you know, full employment when you get there which is obviously at a point where we start to see inflation coming through wages and other things like that. I'm a bit sceptical. You know, the the Australian economy hasn't been able to get much below that 5% level before. Admittedly, we are in a slightly different situation now because we don't have any real immigration. So the actual number of employed people to get the rate down is much lower than what it was in the past. So it is potentially possible that we start to see certainly mid fours, because you don't have that influx of people. But I wonder how sustainable it is if we do get back to a world where we do have some international travel, we start getting students back here and things like that. I think some of that will start to work against getting the unemployment rate down. It's kind of a chasing your tail argument. You you get to a point where you start to see wages go up and that's where you think you're at full employment. What that level is, that's kind of what the RBA is telling us. So it's hard to sort of forecast. Yeah, and if you look at the RBA forecast for full employment over the past 10 years, there was actually a research paper that was written a couple of years ago now, but basically what it showed was that the full employment rate was just constantly dropping. And you know, my reading of that is every time you thought you were getting there, you figured out that you weren't there and so you just revised the figure a little bit lower. Not that that is how the the research works, but that's generally how I think of it. If you look across the globe, I think it's a little bit risky to just kind of pull a number out of your back pocket and and stick it in the air because, you know, at the moment, Japan has a 2.6% unemployment rate. Prior to COVID, the US had a 3.5% unemployment rate and the UK had a 3.8% unemployment rate. In none of those countries did we really see wage pressures large enough to get their inflation rates consistently above 2%. So to think now that we've kind of been through this recession, that we've loaded up on debt and that we're going to suddenly hit a full employment level to me seems a little bit suspect. And I actually think that what we'll find out is as we start dropping lower and lower in the unemployment rate is that it just kind of becomes a moving target and we won't potentially get there. Now that's kind of just me guessing, but that's kind of where we've landed over the past 10 years is that it's just been a bit of a mirage and you have never actually reached full employment. You just keep talking about it. Which was real. I met that comment before that 
what do we do if the RBA gets to all these target levels that they've they've put down in the sand and we don't see any inflation? The most obvious thing in the past would be to cut interest rates, but they, they really can't cut interest rates. They probably don't want to do any more QE. They probably don't want to do any more yield curve control. You know, they kind of back themselves into a corner if they don't get the outcome they want. There doesn't seem to be any natural you know, where do we go to from here, which is kind of the thing that sits in the back of our mind. It seems to be, you know, all in policy or nothing. <laughs> yeah. And I think the other thing that you kind of look at this, if they are going to be forecasting a 5% unemployment rate at the end of this year and potentially, you know, one and a half to 2% inflation, that kind of just feels to me as the nirvana of economic policy in terms of those were the exact things that you were trying to achieve. And now that you're there, what next? So, you know, I think some of this is becoming a little bit distorted in some of the policies that we're looking at and, and how long they can run. But in terms of the economic outcomes, surely if you're forecasting those types of things that you're actually thinking that it's a pretty good situation that you're in. Definitely. And you see that in Japan too. Whilst Japan tends to get demonized as being the ugly kid in the street, I guess, realistically, they have really low rates of unemployment. They have really high happiness within the, their um, population. And in general, you know, they have reasonably good productivity and good per capita GDP growth. It's just that they just don't have enough people to grow at an aggregate level. And that's probably at a time when people have to start sitting back and thinking, well, are the policy levers that we've been trying to reach just no longer applicable for the economy that we're in? And I think you know, we haven't reached that point yet where people are willing to chuck away the last 30 years and, and see whether things really have changed. No, and certainly from the federal government perspective, they don't want to think about that message at all. You know, even the federal government now is saying that full unemployment is, is potentially lower. And because of that, we're going to have to run deficits until we get there. So it's not just monetary policy that is pushing kind of some of these ideas, you're also starting to see the federal governments load up on debt to try and reach those policy objectives as well. That's one of the issues where you do have a declining population. Again, not that Australia is in a declining population situation, but you get more and more debt and less and less people to pay it back. So it just becomes harder and harder and that whole concept of a debt trap becomes more and more uh, problematic. <laughs> Well, that's it for this month. To read our latest insights or to subscribe to our insights email, visit our website at nicoem.com.au. Tune in next month when we deliver our latest thoughts on the RBA's June rate decision and provide an update on what's been happening in markets. Until then, stay safe. The portfolio manager's views expressed in this podcast are not necessarily reflective of the wider Yarra Capital Management Group. This podcast was prepared by Nico AM Limited, ABN 9900337625 AFSL number 237563. It is of a general nature only and does not constitute personal advice or an offer of any financial product. It does not take into account the objectives of financial situation or needs of any individual. Any references to particular securities or sectors are for illustrative purposes only and this is not a recommendation. Any economic or market forecasts are not guaranteed.